We're here to serve our members. One person won't know as much as all of us put together. It's really lobbying on behalf of the industry. Be a connector and get people talking to each other. That is the mission. We need to help you become more successful. Hey everyone, Dave Men's Laundromat Millionaire coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio with my beautiful wife, Carla. And we are here today and we are doing a show for you that I think you're going to be really excited about. And I'm only going to ask you one thing. No matter what you think, no matter what you've heard, hear me out. Hear me out. Watch this episode. Listen to this episode in its entirety. No matter what jaded view you may have of things and what angle you may come at this because... This may be the single most valuable episode that we've ever done here on the Laundromat Millionaire Show. And our goal is that with every episode, but I really think this one is going to be a powerhouse. And if you've read my book, you may know a little bit something of what I'm talking about here. But we have an exciting guest for you today with over 30 years of knowledge in the industry. So get your notepad ready. Carla, you want to introduce our guest? So I am very excited for our guest today. Our guest today is Brian Wallace. He is the president and CEO of the Coin Laundry Association. He is also a popular presenter, author, an advocate for laundromat owners around the U.S. and around the world even. He is also a lifelong Chicagoan, and Brian resides in Elmhurst, Illinois, with his wife, Julia, and his daughter, Beatrice. So, Brian, thanks for coming on our show. Well, thank you, Carla, and thanks, Dave, for having me. Uh, really looking forward to uh, jumping into the conversation. I really appreciate you making time for uh, this you know, important conversation about what's going on in our industry. Yeah. I'm going to give you a chance to answer this at some point in the conversation, but at least in the 12 years I've been in the industry, things have never been moving faster. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, to me, that's exciting. I know that intimidates some people. I think it's like mostly good. I'm not a change for the sake of change kind of guy, but I do believe that really, really good things that are happening in our industry. And I know it makes some people uncomfortable. It even does me at times, but I'm really just super, super excited for our paths to cross in this way today. I mean, we've known each other for years obviously but i'm excited to get this conversation underway uh, we have limited time so let me jump right into it the first thing i'd like to do if you don't mind is just give people a super quick kind of backstory synopsis of who you are and we're going to talk about cla which is an organization that you obviously represent but who is brian wallace like who what was your upbringing like what makes you the man that you are today and ultimately how did you become the president and ceo of of our trade association yeah, well, thanks, Dave, for that question. It's uh, um, well, I, uh, I'm standing here at our headquarters office in Oakbrook Terrace, Illinois. Uh, I grew up in Bolingbrook, which is about 20 minutes that way, and I live in Elmhurst, about 10 minutes this way. Uh, so I've been fortunate to be able to stick uh, close to home. And um, you know, in terms of coming up, I'm just really fortunate to have a great family and great uh, support from my folks and, and my siblings and. Uh, really gave me an opportunity to, um, you know, explore all my various interests, uh, whether it was sports and music back in the day, or um, you know, going to school out here at Northern Illinois University. Uh, that's kind of where the story, I guess, begins when it relates to CLA, and that I uh, got a degree in uh, organizational corporate communications, and really focused on uh, being able to write and speak in in, a, in an efficient way, and. Um, when I came on the job market uh, way back in the early 90s, there weren't a whole lot of jobs 
popping up, uh, but I kind of stuck with it. And I, I had a friend that put it in the back of my mind that, you know, who needs a lot of communications uh, help and PR and writing is, you know, trade associations. And I really didn't know much about it. And then just later on by happenstance, I'm so old uh, that I saw an ad in the paper to come to work for uh, Coin Laundry Association for kind of an entry-level communication specialist. And uh, yeah, I came to work as really my first job out of school and really just trying to pursue that interest in, in corporate communications. And I served in that role for a few years um, with a great mentor, a guy named Dick Torp, uh, who had been with the association a long time. If you can kind of Imagine an old newsman with the, with the hat and the press pass. And uh, he was a grad of uh, Northwestern University uh, School of Journalism, which is about as uh, high a pedigree as you can have. And he took this, uh, this uh, youngster uh, who came through the door. And when I wrote that first press release for him, he handed it back. And I swear it had a red line through every <laughs> paragraph, every sentence. There wasn't anything left, but maybe my name on it. <laughs> and as we all know, that's how, how you learn. And uh, as uh, Dick retired and I was able to become uh, director of communications, I was able to take on some more uh, responsibility. And, um, you know, something I'm sure I'll touch on a couple of times here is that I was just given an enormous opportunity um, in uh, uh, 1999, I guess it was, uh, our then executive director, John Vasilides, who's another tremendous mentor uh, in my life. Uh, he was deciding to kind of go back to uh, quote unquote private practice. He had a distributorship here in Chicago, owned stores, was a really great developer of uh, laundromats. He was stepping aside and I was 28 or 29 years old and the board did this big national search and uh, just, they really gave me an opportunity to take the job at that uh, tender age and tender level of experience and uh, just gave me a shot. And uh, uh, that was over 20 years ago, I guess, uh, having that opportunity. And since then, I just really love working with entrepreneurs, uh, small business people, anything we can do to help uh, that process makes us feel good. So kind of how I got here is uh, like a lot of folks, you got to try to be in the right place at the right, right time. You got to kind of make your own luck and very fortunate that the organization gave me a huge opportunity uh, to become the executive director uh, at uh, 29 years old. So when you joined the CLA, did you, uh, did you foresee that being a lifelong career endeavor or were you just trying to get some experience in your feet wet and see where it goes? I mean, most of us at, I don't know how old you were, 25, uh, maybe when you started 22, something like that. Most yeah. of us don't really have our whole life planned out. What was your uh, ambitions? Well, really, I just knew that um, my strong suit, at least I thought at the time, was kind of the, the, the communications part of it and being able to relate to folks. And, and as I got more involved with the association, I, I didn't know what to expect. I needed a gig, you know, <laughs> I, uh, you needed a place to get started. And, and as I started to be able to kind of flex some of those muscles and meet a lot of great people in the industry and hit the trail, visit laundromats, uh, get to know. When I first started, I didn't know a washer from a dryer. Uh, <laughs> but we just, you know, we learned from, from our peers. I learned from our members and our uh, volunteer mentors. And, um, you know, this is as time progressed, I just had an opportunity to do uh, more and more things. And so it may be a long tenure, but I've had opportunity to do lots of different things from that original communications job to the executive management to being in the trade show business being in the insurance business um, you know uh, being in the education part uh, 
of the industry um, in developing all the tools that we have over the years. Uh, the Laundry Cares Foundation, which of course is near and dear to me and I made sure that they were uh, represented here in the background. So um, I didn't really know what to expect, but there just has continued to be uh, challenges and opportunities that have uh, kept my interest. And I'll admit the people uh, are the main magnet that keeps me uh, engaged and on board with the industry. Are you renovating your store or building a new one? Tired of persistent and expensive plumbing issues like I was? Get an HM Company drain trough to give those drain lines a fighting chance against the constant wear and tear of laundromat life. Sizing is fully customizable to meet your needs and lead times are a maximum of two weeks. I've used them in my stores in Cincinnati for years and I'm installing them in my new store which is opening soughs Visit their website today at draintroughs.com and contact your distributor to order your drain trough today. When you joined the CLA, what was like your first impression in the first, I don't know, let's say six months? Like, were you like, what did I do? Or were you like, <laughs> wow, this is great or somewhere in the middle? Um, well, I want to say, Dave, that I don't think we had any computers. <laughs> we, had, we had some kind of word processor that everybody had to share. Um, and so I, I did have some thoughts about uh, kind of a uh, antiquated environment and the need for a, a refresh and uh, was it was the industry was the industry no no let me, let me rephrase that was mm -hmm. the CLA antiquated in relation to other trade associations um I don't know that it was related to other trade associations but just sort of the office environment and kind of mm -hmm. the way things were done I, I think was uh, a bit outdated even for that for that time and okay. so um, I was happy to have some role uh, in that uh, modernization, certainly at that time. And as we all know, we need to continue to refresh and uh, re you know, re revitalize uh, the businesses. So yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but again, the hook for me was uh, getting to meet entrepreneurs. Um, I didn't have any real entrepreneurs in my circle of friends or family. And so I, I was just really attracted to that uh, element. And if anything, Dave, when I got started, I, I thought, I can, I'm just remembering some of my first uh, uh, performance reviews. What do you want to mm -hmm. be in five years? And I would say, you know, small business ownership. I wanted to own a business. I want to own a business. And, uh, you know, I certainly don't own CLA by any stretch. You know, I work for you. I work for all the members. I certainly report to the board of directors, but I, I sort of have this, you know, stewardship uh, or quasi ownership that has allowed me to really uh, kind of scratch those itches over a long period of time. And uh, it's just been a wonderful experience. So you don't have any side businesses that, that you own? I'm, I'm full-time <laughs> CLA 24 seven. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, I've got enormous respect for, uh, for, for you, for other small business owners, running laundromats, running distributorships, running the, manufacturing companies. Uh, I really have seen uh, with a front row seat what it takes mm. uh, to do that. And, and uh, just the way it's worked out, it's been uh, full-time for me here, more than full-time. And uh, frankly, I don't want uh, any kind of conflict of interest. You know, I think any mm. organization like ours, uh, your reputation, your approach to business, you know, has to be above reproach. It's gotta be transparent. And if I was owning stores, so maybe I'm competing with other members, I'm selecting brand A, B, or C uh, 
of equipment or, you know, I just didn't think that that was uh, the right thing to do, at least for me, uh, to be able to sort of effectively fulfill that role uh, leading the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So not as familiar with the industry as probably a lot of our listeners and definitely Dave, I'm, I'm a, a teacher by trade. <laughs> Um, what all can you tell me, why should someone join the CLA? Like what all do you have to offer a member? Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'll not, uh, we'll turn this into a, a commercial, but I think there's a couple things that, uh, you can sort of latch on to in, in terms of what's you know, kind of a direct benefit to you and then a direct benefit to your profession. And mm-hmm. I really would like to see more people treat this as a profession. Uh, and that's why we call our basic membership level laundry professional, because we want to kind of communicate that mentality of investing in yourself as a professional in, in the industry. And so uh, that, I think that comes with education. Uh, so whether that's our, uh, our, our books or videos or webinars, our one-on-one consultations, you know, we think that we've got a unique opportunity to synthesize uh, you know, the best information from thousands of laundromat owners over 60 years this is our 60th anniversary this year. Let me jump in and, there real quick, Brian, because yeah. you said something that I think is important. Um, and I and I don't want to lose that train of thought because I will. <clears throat> you said one on one consultations. Um, you and I talked many years ago now. Uh, we've known each other quite a while. Um, I don't consider the CLA an organization. I consider myself a part of the CLA. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way I've always looked at it, like it's not an organization to serve me. It's an organization to serve our communities and our industry. And I am a part of that. I've always compared it to like a church. Like some people look at a church and they say, well, the, the church is the church. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're like, we are the church. You know what I mean? Right, and, I, and I'm not trying to com- cross lines of religion or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's the way I've always looked at it. And I guess, I guess my question is when you said one-on-one consultation, you told me, and you may, may or may not remember this, you probably tell everybody this, but you told me years ago, you said, any member can call me anytime. Is that what, like, what do you, what do you mean by one-on-one consultation? Cause I think a lot of people may be surprised to hear what you're about to say. Well, sure. Like, you know, I, I think that we're here to serve our members. And so, yes, we're working on big projects and we've got a lot of uh, things going on, but I, I guarantee every week I'm taking a call. We just had a member who had an issue with landlord was giving a hard time about lint on the roof. And so I had a few suggestions and then I put it out to a couple of my kind of technical friends in the business and try to crowdsource an answer. Uh, we had a guy down the street here whose uh, local inspector wouldn't allow him to have the hard connection for the natural gas. So wrote a letter to the, to the township and talked to the inspector and talked to a couple of other of our members who, you know, I think would know a lot about that. Um, so uh, leases, uh, uh, any number of issues that, that come up, you know, we're taking those calls all the time. And if I don't know the answer, that's the beauty. I guess crowdsource is the new way to phrase that, but that's kind of how it's always been with any association. We have this community of interest. Uh, we can try to figure out the one person who knows the most about this industry, but that one person won't know as much as all of us put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we're always available. Uh, the phone rings uh, all day, every day. Um, and the other thing I think I shared with you, Dave, is as people join new, uh, the first thing I do is welcome them with a calendar invite and say, hey, put some time on my calendar. And so I talk to a lot of new investors that way. Um, 
and just here to try to fill in the gaps. Earlier this morning, I did our monthly uh, free new investor webinar and just took questions for an hour. So you know, we're, we're a vessel uh, to sort of share the best practices, share the best information, and we're here to serve. Uh, you know, and it's not just our attitude or our culture, but that's, the, that's what a 501c6 trade association is here to do. We're here to serve the whole industry and uh, put the best uh, interests of the business first. I know for Dave, the um, forums, the CLA forums were huge. And this was back before many of the Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think the forums hold a special place. Can you speak to what the forums are like for someone who's never been on them? Well, yeah, it's just, uh, it's sort of the uh, current manifestation of uh, chatting over coffee or, or meeting at a local meeting. And, and we certainly, as we come out of COVID, want to get back to our uh, in-person CLA Connect Live meetings. And we've done a couple of them here and there. Uh, but I think the, the forums and certainly the Facebook groups that you all host and, and others out there, I think it's just more ways for people to share uh, the best information. And uh, I think the way we try to sort of, I want to say differentiate or, or just try to characterize our group is that when it comes through us, we feel that there's, it's more curated, more authoritative uh, content. Um, and I think that's something that we try to uh, drive home through, through our forum. And, uh, but again, we need to keep developing. We need to keep building the audience. Uh, you know, we uh, talked about change earlier, Dave. Um, I, I saw this quote recently. I wish I could attribute it to the right person, but it said something like, uh, the pace of change will never be as slow as it is right now. So we all feel like we're drinking from the fire hose. We all feel like the industry is changing rapidly, but we've got to be uh, ready to change, ready to evolve. And certainly that's uh, true of CLA. Um, and whether that is some updates we've got coming for our forum uh, or the way we uh, kind of bring information to market uh, events, uh, we're just going to continue to try to evolve and meet the needs of an industry that's changing. And I think there's a lot more sort of segmentation within our audience, right? It was used to be a little more homogenous. Mm -hmm. We talked about the group of uh, folks in the industry, and now I think there are different needs for different uh, aspects of the business. So just like you try to market your uh, business based on the audience segment and what they need, uh, that's uh, a model that we're moving to here at CLA. Mm -hmm. One thing um, I know we talk to uh, talk a lot about on our show is the importance of finding good distributors. Mm -hmm. um, does the CLA provide any resources to help someone find a good distributor? What do you have yeah. there? Yeah, I think it starts with membership. And so if, if a company cares enough uh, to be a member and cares enough to invest in the dues and, and become an active part of this community, and again, it's not uh, three segments at odds, store owner, distributor, manufacturer, our charter is a vertical association. We are not the laundromat owners association. A lot of industries, there'd be a separate group for the owner operators, a separate group for the wholesale distributors, the allied trades or manufacturers would be over here and they all be working at cross purposes. And we think we can get more done uh, all on the same page. Now, does that mean there aren't uh, interfamily squabbles? Sure, <laughs> that's a natural, but I think we can host meaningful, constructive conversations when some of those conflicts come up. So I think it starts with being a member. Um, and when uh, I have a new investor who calls me and says, you know, I reached out to a couple of distributors I didn't hear back. Well, I'm able to pick up the phone, usually call the owner of the company and say, you know, I heard from Joe Smith. He's really anxious to speak with you. Would you mind giving him a call? And so we kind of advocate in that way. Um, so 
Uh, we, we are brand agnostic, and that certainly uh, extends to uh, the distributors as well. Uh, but we also have a lot of good resources about what to look for in a distributor, right? So okay. we've got uh, lots of articles about the questions to ask and what to look for. And uh, you can imagine that one of the most common questions I've gotten over the last 30 years is what brand of equipment should I buy? And I gave this advice just this morning with our brand new fresh group of new investors this month. Can I answer you for you? Go ahead, fire away. <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you the Brian Wallace answer because I've known him too long. Yeah. You're asking the wrong question. Right. <laughs> Go that, ahead. That, Sorry. That should be number at least number 11. <laughs> right, that's right. Questions. And I would completely agree with that, by the way. I would completely agree with that for what my opinion's worth. Um, well, yeah. It's worth a lot. And, and, and you certainly have a great distributor relationship. And mm. what I tend to tell people is interview all the companies that serve your market. You know, make sure you got a list of what your needs and expectations are. And you do these three, four, five meetings, you're gonna know exactly who you wanna work with. You're probably gonna know who you don't wanna work with. Mm -hmm. And my advice all these years is buy whatever equipment that distributor happens to carry. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my, you know, if I had my list in front of me of the hundred best operators by whatever arbitrary definition, mm -hmm. um, like you to a person, they've got a great uh, relationship with their distributor. They credit that distributor with their growth in the business. And among that group of 100, you know, 20 use brand A and 20 use brand B and another 20 use brand C and the, the other 20, you know, swear by they'll never buy anything else than brand F. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been in a fortunate position to kind of observe how people come to market and what resources they tap into. And I continue to believe that this is a distributor driven business. And are there bad distributors? Yes. Are there bad dis distributors that have a bad day? Yes. Uh, are there uh, shortcomings? Absolutely. But again, when I look at the best operators in the country, uh, they're quick to credit their distributor for uh, their growth in the industry. And um, not so much selling them washers and dryers on day one, but helping them almost like business opportunities. Mm -hmm. This is the laundromat business. This is how it's done. Yeah, I'll sell you some equipment because you're going to need it. But the best distributors take that consultative approach. And I uh, think the smart ones, hey, if I make you successful with store one, I should expect to earn the business for store two, three, four, and five. That's absolutely yeah. right. And why would why would anything else happen? I'm a perfect example of that with our equipment distributor. Um, and I'll even say, if you haven't read my book, Laundromat Millionaire, you know, my equipment distributor became a mentor and for months, months, probably four or five months, gave me an insane amount of his time and effort and never tried to sell me anything. Now, I was, we're all in different situations. I mean, sometimes you just like, that's obviously glaringly what you need, but the best equipment distributors do what my equipment distributor, HM company in Cincinnati always has done and always will do. And it, and I tell people, it's really this simple. Are they focused on your success? Mm -hmm. Because by default, a, a wise, any wise business person for that matter, if they focus on their client's success by default, they will be successful. Mm -hmm. Like that'll just follow. It's an, it's a natural thing. And I, I don't, I don't know why that's so hard to, to understand, quite frankly, for the bad equipment distributors, as much as the laundromat owners. I mean, well, part and again, I, I think there's a discovery process that, yeah. again, if you talk to a couple of distributors in your market, again, you're going to get that sense of if, if the 
services and your needs match up, if there's a personality and culture fit. Um, and again, the, the hardware, you know, I think is much further down the list um, uh, as far as that goes. And this vertical nature of the association I referred to earlier, I, I think when there are conflicts uh, within the different segments or issues to iron out, I, I won't use names, just this week, uh, we had an inquiry from a member of having an issue with a particular brand of equipment and just didn't feel like they were getting, uh, you know, weren't being heard, weren't getting the satisfaction um, that they were looking for. And so what we did is we reached out to uh, an executive uh, at that company and just said, hey, look, can we get you guys together here? I don't want to get into, you know, validating that complaint or, or your side, but, you know, what we can do is connect people and ask you to resolve it. And I've had good luck with that over the years where sometimes it just, I think people are more inclined to try to come to a resolution on a issue uh, related to equipment or the investment or the distributor. Uh, if we can be um, not a middleman in the sense of negotiating anything, but just trying to help uh, be a connector and get people talking to each other. I said before we came on here live, I said that we, at, at me and Carla and our organization at Laundromat Millionaire, we're trying to be unifiers. Um, is that how you see the CLA? Because that is what that is what a unifier does. Yeah, I mean, we want to help people succeed. I mean, that's that that is our sole purpose. Uh, and when we look at our different programs and services, it's really a means to an end. Uh, do I have a great staff here? Yes. Uh, are they professionals? Yes. Do we have to cover a budget? <laughs> Just like you, we, we sure do. So we need to charge for dues and we need to sell ads and we need to, um, you know, have a diverse uh, income stream to make that happen. But at the end of the day, the purpose is uh, helping people. Uh, this can be sometimes an insular business or an insular experience. Uh, I had someone say, there's no water cooler uh, in the laundromat business. You don't just <laughs> grab a cup of coffee and walk down the hallway and chat with five other laundromat owners. Uh, I think that a CLA can help fill that role. I think a lot of the new voices on the Facebook groups and, and other uh, resources can help better fill that need and, and just make people feel less alone in the business mm -hmm. and have more uh, access to uh, advice and information that can help them succeed. So that, that is the mission. We need to help you become more successful. Well, and I want to point out too, because another thing we talked about offline that I really just appreciated that you didn't have to do, <clears throat> it's no secret that we have the Laundromat Millionaire Conference coming up. This episode's coming out in the middle of January 2022. The Laundromat Millionaire Conference is our first networking and education conference <clears throat> that we're putting on. And we were very honest with you that we bit off a lot more than we thought we were. <laughs> but we're learning, we're going through it. Your immediate reaction to that was, how can we help? Mm -hmm. Um there's a lot of people in this industry, um, whether in the organization or not, isn't even really relevant, but a lot of people that I've talked to outside the industry that, um, one, when they found out we were launching the Laundromat Millionaire Conference, they thought we were somehow competing with the CLA. And by default, they thought that the CLA would be upset with us. And I found that very uh, sad, but, but, but also kind of interesting too. And I think that that's where what I'm getting at is I, that's where I really appreciate the fact that I knew that wasn't the case, because as I told you before, I've been a member of the CLA before I own a laundromat for 12 years. 
I will be as long as I'm in this industry and probably even if I ever don't on laundromat someday, like this is kind of who I am at this point. Um, and I see tremendous value in that, but I see tremendous community in that. I think a lot of times there are assumptions made that a person or an organ, and we could apply this to society, right? That this person automatically assumes by default this or that. What was your, what was, what was the CLA's reaction or maybe there wasn't one to, to us announcing that the laundromat millionaire conference. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about it at our conference back in November. We did. That's right. So um, look, I think any trade association has to evolve with the times and there are new voices in our industry, yours and several others, and there's new ways to communicate. So we need to be able to embrace that, support that. I don't see any benefit in, um, you know, being at odds or, or not being supportive. And as long as it's being done at face value and being done transparently, um, I think we can do a lot to help one another. And I think the more information that's available, uh, the better. And frankly, again, I think our challenge in terms of branding and, and differentiation in the market um, is, um, you know, that curated, vetted, authoritative, uh, uh, you know, uh, content that we can bring to the marketplace. And obviously, I think the Laundromat Millionaire uh, brand does that. And, um, you know, because you know, there's a high volume of communication going on online, mm -hmm. uh, but we all know that not all that advice is well-informed or, or even accurate. Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge for all of us will be to try to communicate to whether it's existing store owners or potential investors, uh, you know, here's a safe harbor, here's some information you can trust. And um, so I welcome uh, what you're up to. And, and uh, I think it's just really there to help people. And how would I spend 30 years trying to help entrepreneurs and then uh, try to stand in the way from an entrepreneurial effort like the laundromat millionaire and the things that you're trying to do. So to me, that just is another entrepreneurial endeavor uh, that you've taken on. And I, I think it's good for business. Yeah. Well, and we have the same goals. I mean, the CLA is there to help people and that's exactly what we want to do. We're all about connecting, learning from each other, just like you all are. So. And, I, and, the, and bigger, I'll... the bigger the network, you know, you had kindly asked me, Carla, earlier uh, about kind of what we bring to market and some of the value. Mm -hmm. You know, one pillar is education. Another pillar is advocacy. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, that's been one of my primary roles over the years, uh, whether it be sales tax or the essential uh, designation for our business and lots of other ones that I've got on my desk right now. But I think that uh, when we do need to come together as an industry to respond to uh, legislative threats or regulatory threats or other things that are out there, uh, we need to be able to pull together, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more people that are connected, uh, the more effective we can be. And when I talk to a legislator uh, or a regulator or commissioner of a department, one of the first questions they ask is, you know, how many members do you have and, you know, how many, how many do you represent? Uh, as an industry, what's your reach? You know, so it, there's a calculus that goes on. And I think mm -hmm. as you develop your community and others develop communities within the industry, I think we have this great opportunity to uh, come together, not just with education as the one pillar, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly advocacy uh, being an important one as well. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit deeper? And what I mean by that is there's always those few people out there that say, uh, what, what, what is advocacy? Okay. The, the, uh, 
was it called devil's advocate which right. ironically is mm -hmm. um yeah so what the devil's advocate of what does the cla do so I see as much value in the CLA as this in 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 this form than even the other ones as much as I value the CLA in those ways. But and I'm not trying to make myself out to be a saint, but the value is the fact of the matter is I love this industry. I I love what it has done for me. I love that it allows me to serve my community, that all these people have taught us. It's literally changed our family tree. And so we're very appreciative of that. Um, but those types of things, advocacy doesn't happen on a podcast. Yeah. Like, like I, I love what we do. I'm proud of mm -hmm. what we do, a conference or whatever. What does advocacy look like? And maybe you can break it down into two yeah. things that you mentioned. One, yeah. there's, there's the essential business, uh, the fact that we were deemed essential. In real world, real world terms, what does that look like? And then the stop the laundry tax. Can you address those? Yeah, so, so I guess... What, what, you know, kind of the latest term is advocacy. I guess they used to call it government relations or government affairs. Um, it's really lobbying on behalf of the industry. And uh, most associations are based in DC and that's the reason that they're based there. That's kind of their primary role is to advocate uh, from a legislative and regulatory standpoint for their industry. Um, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, we have a relationship with a legislative monitoring service. I get an email every Wednesday morning that scans every bill in every state, uh, every regulation that gets posted to the federal register looking for keywords. And I get to go in and kind of triage. We should be concerned about that. Don't worry about that one. And we have a lobbying firm um, on retainer that we use uh, to get advice. And um, we'll talk, start with sales tax. Uh, we've had dozens and dozens of um, challenges to the sales tax exemption on laundries. Uh, 41 of 44 states that have a sales tax have an exemption for uh, laundromat proceeds. But we've had to defend that over and over and over again. And we frankly, we've gotten pretty good at it. And we're small, so we uh, work with a group that helps us uh, uh, put together uh, local lobbyists at the state level on an ad hoc basis. And so we're able to hit the ground running. We've got the talking points. We've got a group uh, that can uh, educate the local lobbyists. Uh, I guess the most recent case I can think of is Connecticut. That was a close call. Uh, lost the exemption on wash, dry, fold and commercial accounts, uh, but retained it for self-service, which is really kind of our, our firewall. You know, uh, over the counter, you can collect the tax from the customer. Mm -hmm. Do you want the record keeping and the bookkeeping and the burden of that? You'd rather not have it. Uh, but we really want to view that self-service revenue as sacrosanct because we really can't collect that. It's supposed to be paid by the consumer, not by the business owner. And uh, yeah, we, I can rattle through all the states, but we've, we've done a lot of that work. Uh, in reaction to bills that would either uh, expand the sales tax space or repeal exemptions. Um, keeping a close eye on Kentucky right now, we've had to hire lobbyists there a couple of times over the years. Uh, so, you know, laundromats should be exempt based on the nature of the service, who we serve, and how uh, we collect uh, the revenue from, from the customer. So it sounds it sounds like you've had uh, by you I mean the CLA the CLA has had tremendous success fighting this off on a case by case basis and state by state but it also seems like based on what you just said it keeps flaring back up like this isn't something like we fought down and it's over we're gonna as an industry we're gonna always be fighting this is that a fair statement I'm afraid so and uh, I I I. I 
need to knock on wood. We're, we're, <laughs> we're more or less undefeated at this point, um, you know, with these threats that have come up. But again, this was this was our number one uh, advocacy or regular regulatory or legislative priority in 1992 when I walked in the door here, and it remains the same today. Uh, because if you had to remit in Ohio, I don't know what the going sales tax rate was. I used to know. Uh, 7% pick a number. So if you had to pay 7% of your gross off the top, it's a, it's a lot less fun to be in the laundromat business mm -hmm. you know, because that might be 25, 30, 35% of your gross profits. Uh, so we just think it's just an incredibly important issue. We think we're right. Uh, I think we've got some arguments and even have two sets of talking points for one side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle, depending on the state. And just try to communicate this. Uh, what we tend to find is that we're on a long list of exemptions being removed no one is sitting there target all we need to get in the pocket of the laundromat guys these need to be educated so we mm -hmm. you know try to get in front of uh legislators perhaps more importantly their staff and tell our story here's what we do here's how we serve uh and you know we've been able to be successful in in making that uh, making that point clear um you know you asked me about uh, laundromats are essential hashtag uh, laundromats are essential <laughs> i'm assuming really i'm assuming with the pandemic you got plenty of notice you knew it was coming you were you were very aware you were able to prepare to fight this off is that what happened <laughs> well, again none of us none of us had a playbook or have a playbook uh, for the pandemic uh, uh, whether it's today with uh, supply chain issues and um, I, I really feel for a lot of our uh, vendor members that are just uh, uh, having nothing but sleepless nights. But yeah, when the pandemic uh, dawned on us and uh, we all went home <laughs> like everyone else did, um, you know, there were probably a thousand things that needed to be done. But the way I figured um, the threshold issue was staying open. Like if, if we don't keep the industry open, the rest of it is sort of a moot point, whether we have a conference coming up or need to publish a white paper or you name it. If we're not open, uh, it's a moot point. And so it was really triage. Uh, you, know, this, you, know, these, you might remember these lockdowns and uh, uh, really were rolling out on a state by state basis. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we checked into a state and good, hey, we're on the list. Another state, hey, we're not on the list. We need to get on the list. And so then we would um, you know, use our contacts, often uh, calling our members in those states. You know, a lot of our great business owners have those connections with their legislators. And I would say, if you could do one thing today uh, as a business owner that can help you and us down the road is get to know your legislator uh, and let, invite them down to the laundromat for a cup of coffee. You would not believe how valuable that is uh, to our efforts. So, uh, so sometimes I called the switchboard at the governor's uh, office, uh, or I called a friend in the business and talked to legislators. And we just kind of went through this rolling list of state by state, you know, probably three or four weeks uh, straight on the phone. And as we got through uh, most of that really successfully, and then you got to the latter part of states that were saying, you know what, we're not going to do our own uh, uh, shutdown orders. We're going to uh, defer to federal guidance. Mm -hmm. And that's where we had to switch our focus state by state to the federal level. And we were not on the list. Uh, we were not on the list at the federal level, I think through the first two revisions. And so uh, we had to, again, relationships, community. Uh, we, we got in touch, frankly, with a number of our manufacturer members that were in a position to help uh, pull together some serious dollars. And we 
needed to hire a lobbying firm that had a direct line into the White House uh, coronavirus task force. And again, we weren't left off the list because someone said, you know what, scratch out the laundromats. They don't, they're not essential workers. They're not an essential business. No, it just wasn't top of mind. They weren't educated. They didn't understand the role that we played providing a public health service, especially during a pandemic, doing a lot of laundry for essential workers. Uh, and so that was a successful um, uh, interaction and we were uh, celebrating being added to the list uh, a little bit later in the process. And so, again, it's just an illustration of protecting our interests, uh, putting our industry forward. During that same time, I did at least 40 or 50 media interviews from my kitchen table, talking about <laughs> the industry, talking about the role that we're playing, uh, doing videos uh, for all of you as members with updates. So, you know, uh, I told our staff, if we don't step up for our members now, when are we going to do that? I mean, mm -hmm. this is, you know, talk about rainy day, it's raining, so yeah. we better get to work. Well, we appreciated that. We are glad we were essential. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we were we were in a, probably a better position than a lot of people having multiple locations, being well-established in the industry, having reasonable, you know, reserves compared to a lot of, you know, compared to our past, quite frankly, <laughs> there was many times where if that had hit us in our first seven or eight years, we would have been in big trouble in like a week. Um, and in this case, we were in a, we were in a <clears throat> probably as ideal as you could be in almost situation. That being said, I won't hesitate to say it. We were terrified. We were looking at each other going, is everything we've worked for in the last 10 years and sacrificed about to all come crashing down? Mm -hmm. And I know we weren't the only ones because uh, I had people calling me like crazy. Um, me and they were like, what, you, what, are, what, are, what are we doing? What's going on? And I'm like, I don't think anybody knows. Um, and being essential wasn't easy, right? We mm -hmm. kind of crossed that threshold and that's, okay, be careful what you wish for. We're open. Right. There's no playbook. We're trying to keep people safe. We're trying to keep people coming through the doors. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it just was a, a real test and really, frankly, a real proud moment, uh, you know, for our industry. We really rose to the occasion. We took care of people. We did it as safely as we could. Um, and it just, I, I really think it was a high point the way the industry responded and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to it really prove, we always thought we were essential, you know, in a different mm -hmm. context, you know, mm -hmm. but, but to, to have it be made official, uh, I think was really impactful. And by my math, uh, that, uh, preserved more than a billion dollars in gross sales, uh, at the laundromats around the country. And it's probably closer to 2 billion. I'd say that's accurate and I'll take it a step further, Brian. Um, I'm seeing, uh, I'm curious if you are, I'm seeing laundromats now selling at seven and eight X multiples where that was rare if it ever happened in the past. And I think there's a direct correlation between those two things. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. Uh, as I said, we always hear from new investors uh, and uh, we were always pretty confident of being recession resistant. I hate to say recession proof, uh, recession resistant, but here we are pandemic resistant. And uh, we heard from a lot of folks that either were in a uh, sort of an executive role or, or kind of middle management role that didn't see uh, uh, you know, a lot of stability going into the future and wanting to kind of develop uh, uh, an alternate. Uh, we saw people that were so impacted, the restaurateurs, um, people whose businesses were shut down and they were devastated. They started to think, well, maybe the laundromats uh, are for me. And so, 
all this media coverage is another big role that we play in, in part of advocacy is our kind of our outward facing uh, reputation building for the for the industry. We did uh, the quarter shortage, believe it or not, probably was the most interviews I've ever done. I just <laughs> did one in the Seattle Times uh, last month. Um, you know, people need to hear about our industry, hear about it in a positive context, and that helps build for that next time there's a sales tax threat or the next time the wastewater rates are going up or the next time there's some other uh, threat. Uh, but new investors um, are have always been interested in the business. Somehow we're always on that short list with car washes and self-storage and a couple other common ones. Uh, but uh, the interest just really uh, went up. And when you talk about valuation, Dave, and multipliers, I think it's a combination of first-time folks looking to get their first store uh, driving up demand, but it's also this trend uh, that you're a big part of, which is multi-store management. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the first-timer looking for their first store. It's uh, the person that's got their third and they want their fourth. They have their sixth, they want their seventh. And so there is a, a hunger out there for um, locations, and that naturally drives up uh, the demand and drives up the price. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. So Brian, you've been in this industry longer than us. Um, just, I'm curious of your overall look at it. How, what changes have you seen and what kind of changes do you see for the future of our industry? Cause you've been in a lot of laundromats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I, I guess part of the point is that there's more good than bad and ugly. Uh, that's, that's a dramatic difference going back a decade or two. Uh, we still have a long way to go as an industry. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, uh, zombie mats out there. Um, but it has improved tremendously over this period of time. And that's because we're, we have, uh, more people treating it as a profession, uh, treating it as uh, a worthwhile endeavor. Um, and, and frankly, you know, David, you and I have talked a lot about, uh, this in the laundry cares context, but really having, um, you know, the motivation of service to the community, you know, taking care of people, you know, the old school, you hear it makes me cringe. It's almost like a disdain for the customer mm -hmm. or a contempt for the customer. I think yep. you're in the wrong business yep. like, yeah. we're here to take care of people. And so right. those voices, I think have, uh, been, I don't say silenced, but certainly, uh, have quieted down over time, Carla. And so I think that's a big change is the professionalism and the focus on, uh, the customer. Uh, you always have to mention technology, right? The pace of change will never be as slow as it is now. And I think people have embraced it, uh, whether it's at the equipment uh, itself or the payment systems or the store management or the ability to market the business uh, digitally. And I think that has really been the fuel for this multi-store trend. Um, and I call it a consolidation from within. You know, we're not seeing, you know, People say, when, when somebody come in and roll up a thousand or five thousand of these stores, there's thirty thousand out there. Why isn't there a McDonald's? Um, and I think the real uh, consolidation is when you bought your second store, when you built your third store, when you're doing your fourth store. That's the kind of consolidation. And I think that the technology has made it easier to manage multiple locations uh, compared to years ago. So I think there's more focus on the customer, uh, better operators who treat it like a profession. Put putting customers first and growing this uh, consolidation from within leveraging technology and really making this a full-time gig. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first got in the business, it was almost without exception, kind of a moonlighting or, or second 
uh, uh, job at best. But now we've got full-time laundromat professionals uh, that, uh, similar to your story, Dave, left corporate America at one point and went uh, full bore into the laundromat business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tell people all the time, and this is just a general statement, I tell people all the time, somebody that's doing this as a quote-unquote side hustle is going to really have trouble competing with someone like me. I mean, it's just that it really is that simple. I mean, this is all I do. Like this is, this is, this is, in fact, I'm, I'm saying this more and more every day. This isn't what I do. It's who I am. Mm -hmm. Good luck competing with that. When, when you, you have a full-time job and you thought you bought a passive income stream that you can just show up and collect the money. Um, and I'm out here serving my community to the best of my ability and being, building a team of 40 people who are doing the same. Like those are, those are two different worlds. In fact, I think in an article I re recently wrote for uh, Planet Laundry, I even kind of drew a comparison there. And I was like, look, these are like, we're in different industries. These are different businesses. We're not even competitors at this point. It's so polarizing. Um, so if you want to, if you want to be what I call the top of the industry, which is an anecdotal thing, um, if that's who you want to be, I mean, it needs to be important to you. Now, obviously, we start in the business with full-time jobs, so it doesn't mean you have to be full-time from day one. Um, yeah, but it but it has to be a priority. Um, and I'm I'm quite frankly, I'm glad that those days are are coming to an end, uh, and I'm glad that the industry sees the value in that. That's something that we talk about quite a bit. So let me ask you a couple of questions about the CLA, and then we want to get into some of that knowledge you got in your head from over 30 years to uh, for laundromat owners specifically before we let you go. These are a few kind of poignant questions. So what do you do? What does the president and CEO of the CLA do? No, a big part of it is that uh, spokesperson role or ambassador role. So that would definitely be something that um, especially through my travels, extensive travels over the years uh, has been a big uh, part of my role. Um, a lot of it is you might consider kind of mundane, just like the mundane parts of the laundromat business. Uh, you know, we've got, we got to manage our finances here. We've got to pay our bills. I've got a staff to manage. Uh, we've got a lot of different things that we're up to from publishing a, a, a magazine to taking care of members, to putting on events, uh, customer service and all the rest of it. So that kind of managing people, I just got done with our 2022 goals and uh, reviewing compensation and all the things that any small business owner uh, would, would find them doing. Uh, as I said, you know, the efficacy is definitely something that requires some time and attention. Um, I need to try to commit enough time to talking with our, our peers in the business because that's where I pick up the information, uh, stay on top of what's, what's happening in the industry. So I try to carve out time and need to do more of it to, to have those conversations with, with people in the business. Uh, so a lot of it is fairly orthodox, you know, running a small business. So, you know, again, the, the accounting functions and uh, just kind of keeping the, uh, the train on the tracks, uh, but you know, also kind of planning and visioning for the future. Uh, we just had a great board meeting uh, earlier today, as a matter of fact, uh, where we we're talking about our strategic roadmap and where, you know, some of the things that we're going to be trying to do here in the next 18 months to continue to evolve the organization, uh, improve our marketing and communications and, uh, do more to build our community. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to tell you it's some crazy, exciting thing, but it, it's pretty uh, orthodox small business uh, management. But the best parts for me is the relationship building, talking with people in the business, 
and uh, being an ambassador for the industry. Tell me about your staff. What are the, I, I want people to understand, and this, this isn't a sales pitch of the CLA. I think in my opinion, not enough people in our industry really understand how the CLA functions and, and, and those types of things. Tell us about your amazing staff, because I know for a fact they're rock stars. Yeah, no, thank you. You got a chance to, to meet them out in California a few, a few months ago, most of them anyway. Uh, yeah, I think a little transparency in terms of how we, because uh, I think most people discover we're a lot smaller than they might think. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of alone in the executive uh, uh, desk, and, and that's just great. Um, it breaks down like this. I've got essentially three full-timers um, out of our seven right now that are, are full-time dedicated to Planet Laundry. You know, so I've got We've got a full-time editor, Bob Neiman, who's amazing. Uh, 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 Jen uh, Gabris is our uh, graphic designer and takes care of all the look of everything and puts, lays out the magazine every month. Uh, Nika Thomas is our ad sales pro and also kind of serves as the business manager for the magazine because we've got circulation to manage in the post office and, uh, you know, you know, getting people onto the list, getting people off the list. So, so almost half of our team is dedicated solely to uh, Planet Laundry, which I think plays a valuable role for the industry, goes to members and non-members, and has been one of the kind of legs on our stool when it comes to generating revenue to do all the other things that uh, we've, we've, been, we've been talking about. And it's free uh, for us, by the way. We, yeah. don't pay, we don't pay a subscription for that. Member and non-member, yeah. sign up well, for again, a free that's, subscription. That's, that, you know, that's really unusual when I talk to other associations, the magazine is members only, but um, we want to try to educate the whole industry. And frankly, uh, we're trying to be entrepreneurial. We know that we can sell ads and take better care of our advertisers with a broader circulation. So there is some uh, method there to the madness. Um, uh, we have a couple of great uh, folks in events and admin. Uh, we've got Catherine Hastings at the front desk. Many of you have been hearing her voice for uh, 20 years, uh, picking up the phone here at CLA. Uh, Tanisha Moore does all of our event planning. So Connect Live, Clean Shows, Excellence, Elevate. Uh, it's really uh, a privilege to have a full-time person dedicated uh, to that work. Uh, I mentioned accounting and finance uh, for different business units. Uh, CLA, Planet Laundry, Laundry Cares, uh, and others. Uh, Christina Gonzalez is my right hand when it comes to the accounting and finance. Last but not least, we've got Danielle Bauer, who I know you've met, is our Director of Membership and Education. So she's there taking care of members, developing our membership, helping us retain our members, and also programming all of our events uh, from an educational standpoint. So small but mighty, uh, but uh, these are the things that we do here every day. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time. I'm, I didn't know the exact numbers, but I I knew it was right around those numbers, and I'm I'm always amazed at what the CLA accomplishes with the size of the organization um, that you well, are. That I think is, it's a credit that being to you. Said, all. Dave, let me just uh, punctuate that. I, we're looking for two people right now. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, so when we look at our strategic roadmap and being able to evolve and, and meet the needs, we knew that we needed to up our game. When it comes to marketing and communications, so we're looking to uh, add a director level uh, person in marketing communications. So we hope to have that position filled here shortly. And we're getting another accounting admin to help support um, uh, those other uh, business units here, especially laundry care is growing at a, at a rapid pace. So- mm -hmm. Which is awesome. 
we're going to get a little bigger here along the way, but still, uh, still uh, running pretty, pretty lean. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So real quick, tell me about the board and how much money they make to be a board member. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, again, we just took an hour of their time, more than an hour of their time uh, just here today. Uh, and if you're listening to us on audio, I'm grinning ear to ear, just so you know, so <laughs> go ahead. No, we have a volunteer board. Um, they're, uh, they're like you, you know. They're they're store owners. Uh, our bylaws call it for always a majority store owner representation on our board, as well as representation from manufacturers and distributors. And it's people that love the business and they want to volunteer their time and their energy to try to make things better. And so, they're uh, from a fiduciary standpoint, they're the governance, right? I work for them. Uh, you know, I report to them in, in that sense. Uh, they're there to provide that financial oversight and also. Again, work with me to develop that strategic uh, vision for the organization going forward. And there is no compensation. And um, I continue to be blown away by the, the commitment and the amount of time that, uh, and again, I've got this, if you talk about the board of directors, you know, so right now we've got whatever it is, 15 uh, great folks, but over a 30 year period, that's hundreds and hundreds of people that have given back to the industry, taught me a lot about uh, the business and uh, continue to contribute in lots of ways. So they're busy folks. Uh, we've got committees, we've got task forces, we've got a lot of ways to put uh, these folks to work. And those of you that might feel that, that itch uh, to uh, contribute or you wanna see things better, you wanna see things different, hey, run for the board, You know, join the team, uh, help make, uh, the, the organization better help help trying to make the industry better. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, just from Dave and Carla Menz, thank you. Thank you for everything that you do as an individual. Thank you for everything your organization does. Um, if you And the, obviously the board as well. I made a joke out of that. I don't know if anybody picked up on that but me. <laughs> uh, but on the uh, board compensation. Um, yeah, they're volunteers, guys. If you didn't pick that up, they're working for free. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, if you want to be a part of the solution, uh, and you think the CLA can be, things can be done better or just different, um, join the board. That's how you yeah. make a difference. That's how you make yeah. a difference. Yeah. We'll find a place for you on a committee. We'll find a way for you to, uh, to, uh, speak your voice and make your contribution. We have a saying around here, you raise your hand, you get called on. <laughs> if you want to get to work, we'll put you to work. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're not careful, you might get voluntold, right? <laughs> yes. yeah, all right. So, so before we let you go today, we got to tap into all this wisdom over 30 years uh, networking with some of the top operators in the industry uh, in person. I, I'm always amazed by your travel. Not that I like stalk you or anything, but you travel, <laughs> and I think part of it's I'm very sensitive to travel because I don't like to travel unless he I'm going to, to a beach. travel. <laughs> I hate being on a plane. I hate being in a car. Unless I'm going to a beach, I want to be home in Cincinnati. Um, and you travel a lot. Um, but what I want to really get to is to tap into a few specific things that can bring value to our audience, the laundromat owners, which majority of them are, aside from everything we talked about today. So obviously the CLA is a great organization, great resources, all the things we talked about today. Tell me about these people that you have observed at 30 years in the industry that are not successful. What are common things that you see? Because I think too much we talk about, tell me the five things that successful laundromat owners do. And that's the next question. So we're going to get there. Yeah, I but... prepared that list. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. The, the yeah. But, 
And, yeah. and it's not trying to pick on anyone, but I really believe that we focus too much on patting ourselves on the back. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think there's knowledge and information in there, but I've learned as much from my failures as I have in other people's, quite frankly. Um, I mean, you want to learn a lot, find somebody that's really sharp, really authentic, really transparent, that's been in any industry, quite frankly, for any length of time and say, tell me about your failures. What did you learn from those? You'll learn 10 times more from that conversation than you will from asking about their successes. So I don't know if you're comfortable with that, but I'm just throwing it on you. No, no, um, I mean, yeah, kind of, you know, kind of make a you know stereotype or a profile sure. of uh, folks that maybe don't have the success in the business, you know, it's, it's active management versus passive management. Uh, mm -hmm. I told our brand new class just today, a new investors, that this is not an absentee business, mm -hmm. nor is it a passive business. That's in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And if you're, if your expectation is that you're going to show up once a week and collect the quarters, uh, you know, uh, that's not going to be the case. Um, can this industry provide financial freedom? Yes. Can this industry provide uh, time freedom and lifestyle freedom? Absolutely. I think those are the two greatest things about uh, the business, but it's not absentee and it's not passive. So those that uh, go into that attitude or come to neglect the business uh, are the ones that uh, you know, have difficulty. Um, to be good in this business, you have to be a monster when it comes to controlling expenses. And uh, one mistake I see happen with those that are less successful is that uh, frugality crosses the line uh, to the mm. point where they're not investing enough in their business, whether that's equipment or people or supplies or uh, cleanliness or some of the things that you need to spend real money uh, to make better in your store. So I think uh, that uh, I don't want to say being cheap, but um, mm -hmm. controlling expenses, absolutely. Um, you know, starving your business is not a, not a solution that, that really makes sense. Um, I, I think the other thing, uh, again, came up in our new investor class this morning. I, I spent probably the majority of the time talking about leases. Um, I think most laundromats go out of business that do go out of business at some point or another, it's a combination of neglect, um, kind of a life happens kind of thing, a divorce, an illness, a death in the family. And, or it's a, just a bad lease. So it's a short end of a lease, a lease that became too expensive. And um, I just really encourage people spend as much time as you can on that lease portion. You tell that great story in the book uh, more than once actually about uh, negotiating favorable leases. So those are the first three things that come to mind in terms of folks that aren't having the success that they need to have. Okay, let's flip that. Yeah, so the flip side on that, I shouldn't have to look down, but it actually wrote this one down. <laughs> don't want to, don't want to leave any yeah. out. Grab your notes, you know, Carla. You have to, you have to kind of wave your hand if any of these things sound familiar. But uh, I, you know, actually, uh, one of our menu, uh, one of our distributor members uh, had asked me, uh, you know, come give a talk, and the talk was, you know, what makes uh, successful laundry laundromat owners? What's the profile? And so I talked about putting the customer first and delivering a high level of service. Again, that's sort of that opposite of that disdain or contempt or neglect of the customer. And um, when I was giving panels early on in the industry, um, I would kind of try to tee up some of these conversations. And you know what always came up was customer service, taking care of customers. And, and so I came, came to put that at the top of my list. Uh, great laundromat owners reinvest and retool. 
Uh, they're typically the high price leader when it comes to vent price in their market. Uh, they watch the numbers uh, and, and control expenses. Uh, continuing education, you know, the old uh, quote about 80% of success is showing up. Um, when we do events, do meetings, it's always the folks that are, you're kind of preaching to the choir, the people that know the most show up the most, and that's not a, a coincidence. Um, another successful trait is this relationship building, you know, whether it be with vendors, with peers, with their customers, with their employees, uh, they understand the value of relationships and understand that's how things get done. Um, yeah, and the other thing I put down just as a half joke is that the early risers, uh, <laughs> uh, when, when uh, uh, people come to work here, I say, look, you know, when we're working with our members, they're up and at it pretty darn early as most entrepreneurs are. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate you sharing those nugget of wisdom. I would agree with them all except for getting up early. I'm not, <laughs> we I'm like not to a, sleep. I'm not a morning person, <laughs> but I tell you what, when you're asleep at 10, I'll be up working. So I, I consider no, it a, no, no. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm kind of a night owl like that. So listen, before we let you go today, first of all, thank you. And I, I genuinely mean that from us personally, because the work that you do, and you are not the CLA, but the work that you do as an individual and the work that you oversee, there are, if I, if I would, if I could pick two things, and I believe I talk about this in my book, in fact, I know I do. Um, if, if I could pick two things that are from a macro perspective, uh, the reason that Dave and Carla were able to change our family tree and go from where we were, which was a net worth of less than $50,000 12 years ago uh, with a young family um, to being multimillionaires now and living a life that we we love and uh, the, the flexibility that you talk about, which I love that term, um, of that this industry gives you. Um, I would correlate that to my relationship with HM Company and Steve Millman, who I talk about in the book quite a book, uh, my my mentor and distributor, and the CLA as an organization. So, guys, if you if you want to be successful in this industry, obviously there's a bunch of other things you need to do. You need to find a great distributor, and along with those rock star equipment distributors, you will almost always find a great mentor. And you need both, whether they're the same or different. You need both. You need to plug in, and I would I would I would. I would go so far as to say this applies to outside of our industry. I don't know why it wouldn't. Um, you need to plug in with your trade association. Mm -hmm. And instead of making excuses for why they aren't serving you, you need to plug into the organization and say, how can I serve the industry? And by default, you're going to get so much value out of those relationships that it's just ridiculous. You know, my mentor early on told me, uh, which was Steve Millman and his dad who started their distributorship back in 1957, he told him, he said, Steve, always focus on others. Everything else will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. That's how his dad built their distributorship from 1957, which is the beginning of our industry almost to where they are today to his sons and, and, and how successful they are. They are one of the best uh, equipment distributors in the country. There are others like them, and they operate in almost, a, in almost the exact same way. They're focused on others. Um, and when we, as laundromat owners, when we take the initiative and we say, you know what, how about I focus on serving others? Maybe I'll plug into the CLA and the trade association to see how I can serve others versus what can I get? And I said it when we were offline, and I'm not afraid to say it publicly too. Be a giver, not a taker. Because mm -hmm. a taker doesn't take you very far in life of being a giver. It's a pr pretty fulfilling life. And we could apply that to our retail businesses, meaning give to the community 
And by default, I always say, and I don't mean it in a vague or in a vulgar way, but I always say, give, give, give to the community and they will just throw their wallets at you. And, and I know that sounds a little shallow, but what I mean by that is the money will just come flooding in because that is pure capitalism in its truest form, right? That is entrepreneurship. That's business ownership. That is everything that I love about business ownership, and it applies to our industry as much as anything else. And by the way, I said earlier, I haven't had an original thought in my life. That's another example of a combination of that little rant I just went on. All of that stuff I learned from other people that were successful that came before me. I learned by being at events like the Laundromat Millionaire Conference, being at Elevate, being at Clean Show, showing up at 8 for the educational sessions instead of sleeping in <laughs> and hitting the trade show at 10. And we all know those people. You can tell who they are because uh, mm -hmm. they stayed out too late drinking the night before. And they're missing out. They're missing out on those things. That is where I have learned as much, if not more, about this industry from environments like that. Put yourself in the way of mentors, put yourself in the way of people that have come before you, and you're going to learn a lot. And then just be a giver. Um, so anyway, nobody asked my opinion, but you got it anyways. So, uh. <laughs> There's a soapbox. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sometimes I get well, going it, and I just can't stop. It, what, you're, what you're getting at is doing well by doing good, right? Mm, yeah. And, and that kind of ties in with Laundry Cares Foundation and Laundry's yeah. Connected Communities. It's the right thing to do, and it's good for business. So to support our literacy initiatives, to support our free laundry and literacy days, to connect with the community, it's a differentiator. It's hard to differentiate sometimes one laundromat from another. But believe me, the community knows which ones have uh, installed the mini library space. They know which ones are distributing books. They know which ones are really engaged in the community. And so, um, you know, it's the, 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 the corporate social responsibility that you see from, from the Fortune 500 uh, down to the corner laundromat. We can make a difference in our community and it's going to come back to us in the form of uh, more business. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you bringing up the laundry cares because, um, you know, I've always felt like it was a good thing for our industry to be doing. And I learned a lot more about it and the, um, I can't think of what you call them, but the kids play areas, read, play, learn, uh, the, the family replay, learn yeah, centers, family. You know, the, the mini library spaces that we're installing uh, from coast to coast. Yeah. And I'll tell you guys, I was shocked. And by the way, I've, we've ordered one for our new store that we're building right now. Thank um, you. Yeah. And we're excited about that. Part of the reason we're excited about that is because we know it's a market differentiator, as you talked about from many different angles, but just one angle I'll talk about real quick before we go today is when I was at Elevate, you and I were standing there right next to that Replay Learn Center talking. We talked for a good half an hour. Uh, Brian was very transparent and authentic as he always is. And I looked down and I was like, you know, I never really understood why these things are so expensive. And then I looked down and I was like, holy cow. Like, uh, what, what is the name of the company? You told me the name of the company uh, that oh, makes those. So, I mean, yeah, these things so are bulletproof. Yeah, we, we worked uh, we work with a company called Lakeshore Learning Materials, and and any a lot of our educators are familiar with uh, Lakeshore. Uh, this is like uh, industrial grade uh, elementary school, uh, you know, tables and chairs and other accessories, you know, and we do all brand new uh, curated books through Scholastic, and so um, you know we just think that we need to set the bar as high as possible. If, if you're going to distribute used books in your laundromat. Thank you. Anyone who's helping kids at the laundromat, you're good with me. This is my passion <laughs> project. This is 
something that's given me and I think our industry a higher purpose to sort of upcycle what we're here for. Uh, and, um, you know, by, you know, just something as simple as putting the hands, uh, the book in the hands of a, of a family that uh, either has no home library or only has a, uh, basically living in a book desert, uh, we can make a real impact and that's building every day. And it's given us, I think, a higher purpose for what we do as an industry. And um, you and I talked about this opportunity, but I think it's an obligation. I, I think it's more than an opportunity. I think we have an obligation to uh, take care of the families that take care of us. Mm -hmm. What about the book subscription? That's the last thing. Tell us about the book subscription and what comes with that. Yeah, so you know, the intent of all this based on our research and, and we've been able to partner with a lot of smart people in early childhood development and literacy, um, there is a real lack of books. And so we want the books to walk away. Oh, they're gonna steal the books. Great, we want them to steal the <laughs> take the books home. And so uh, when you buy a Family Replay Learn Center, it comes with initial stock of books. I think it, the number is 50. You know, hardcover, top-notch, scholastic books. And then that uh, gets replenished automatically uh, with an additional 20 books every month. And so if we're doing it right, uh, the bookshelf starts to thin out toward the end of the month, and then you get replenished. And uh, when you start to add up the number of books, you quickly get into the hundreds of thousands of books that we're putting in the hands of folks that really need a book mm -hmm. and uh, really need that as a, if anything, Dave, it's an expression of care. Mm -hmm. The fact that you have that in your store, the fact that you're offering a book, you know, there's value in that intrinsically, but it's really an expression of care. And that's what sets apart uh, our program. And hopefully this is going to be the norm for our industry. Washers, dryers, folding tables, learning center, books. It's just basic equipment going forward. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I'll, I'll, I'll definitely throw myself out there and say, you know, I, I always thought it was a good thing from afar. And then when I really uh, learned and understood it, then it really clicked. So when I really kind of honed in on what this is um, and how it affects people, but how also the CLA and Laundry Cares has kind of set it up to be like, dare I say foolproof yeah. for the laundromat owner oh, no. and the hassle proof, maybe is a better way of putting it. Right. Hassle proof um, is, is just fantastic. And right. I didn't understand that. And now I do. So I want the industry to know that. Yeah. We, we launched the, the, you know, we, we went through a progression of uh, we call laundry literacy summits, bringing all the experts together. And at some point we decided in 2018 that there needs to be kind of a product. There needs to be a thing <laughs> that kind of brings this across. And that's how the, the mini library was designed. We, we launched it, introduced it at Clean 19. Um, and so the uh, pandemic certainly interrupted our progress, but uh, it's really taking off now. And it's not just business owners like you, uh, Dave and Carla, we're, we're hearing from municipalities and library systems and uh, civic organizations. We've got some big announcements coming. Um, oh, wow. So everyone, everyone, Kind of gets it right you give that elevator speech of uh we've, we've got uh families coming to a store often in an under-resourced neighborhood and we have an opportunity to not only help ourselves but be a conduit for other help uh, we've partnered with diaper bank networks we've uh, partnered with WIC clinics um, and health literacy groups financial literacy so you have a reach into the neighborhood that a lot of nonprofits uh, are envious of. Mm -hmm. You know, they're saying these are families that are so hard to reach, and we say, we know where they are. We know <laughs> where they are every Saturday. We know where they are every Thursday. And so, 
it's uh, we're just scratching the surface. Uh, we're going to do a lot more uh, this year and certainly for the years to come. I just think it's a transformative uh, experience for our industry to go from something that either had no reputation or perhaps a negative reputation to something where we're now being known uh, for this uh, uh, taking care of the community and tying it all together back to advocacy. Who shows up at these ribbon cuttings? Mayors, uh, you know, council people, state senators, and all of a sudden when we need to talk with them about sales tax or other issues affecting the business. We're coming at it from mm -hmm. a position of service and a position of understanding where we're at. A lot of trade associations will spend millions of dollars on PR campaigns. And we could probably spend 10, $20 million trying to make the laundromat business sexy. Uh, Laundry Cares gets that achieved. Uh, Laundry Cares helps bring that message across and it's absolutely the right thing to do and it's good for business. You know, something just clicked with me, Brian, when we were at Elevate, you and I were talking, as I mentioned, for quite a while. And uh, do, do I remember that right, that you said that there were uh, either corporate entities or maybe government agencies that were reaching out to the CLA and saying, hey, this is so great. We want to buy these with our budget. And can you help us find laundromats to put them in? It, I understand that right, don't, or I remember that right. Yeah, I? yeah, no, I should have I should have mentioned corporations on that list earlier with the municipalities and the library systems and the local literacy groups. Uh, we are finding uh, companies that are unrelated to our industry. I don't know if I'm ready to share some any of the exact <laughs> names quite yet, but uh, they're seeing it as, as a way to fulfill their corporate social responsibility. So mm -hmm. let's say it's a, a large company that has a CSR uh, function and maybe they're focused on literacy or early childhood. Uh, as they discover about what we're doing, boy, it just generates immediate excitement. And uh, in a lot of cases, these organizations, they're willing to foot the bill for the kit. Now we're just looking for laundromat owners that are willing to open their doors and uh, allow for that install to happen. So awesome. um, it's sort of, it's kind of reverse engineered now where we're getting, frankly, uh, we're getting more interest from that external uh, standpoint, but um, the best way to go about this uh, is laundrycares.org. It's free to join the Laundry Cares Network. All you're doing is raising your hand and saying, I'm a community-friendly laundromat. Let me know about opportunities. And then so when uh, the Idaho State Library Commission is buying kits like crazy, they want to put one in every laundromat, they're footing the bill. So we need to go find laundromat owners in Idaho. And I can you know, give you several more cities that are in that situation. So we're knocking on a lot of doors. Uh, to try to make those connections. And the best way for us to find you is uh, sign up, join the community, and uh, we'll work toward making a connection for you. Yeah, that's pretty that's fantastic. Great. All right, my friend, thank you. I don't know how, to, how else to say it, but thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for everything you do for the industry. And quite frankly, thank you for the things that you're going to continue to do for the industry. How many more years you got in you, man? 20, 25 more? Uh, that's up to the board. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll decide how long they want to keep me around. But yeah. uh, no, I'm, I'm going to keep at it. I think the best days of our industry are ahead of us. I mm. think we can do this as a community. And uh, it's just my pleasure to be with both of you. I appreciate uh, your mission and your advocacy and uh, can't wait to do more together. 
Yeah, we appreciate you. And before I let everybody go today, but we were talking offline and Brian said he is going to be at the Laundromat Millionaire Conference. Um, so if you want to meet Brian, if you want to corner Brian, if you want to <laughs> handshake with Brian, he'll buy you lunch. No, lunch is, <laughs> you want to buy him a drink? Lunch is included, everybody. Nobody has to buy anything. It's included in your I'm ticket. Easy, easy. <laughs> but anyway, so Brian is going to be there. We appreciate not only the gesture, but the wisdom that he's going to bring to the room. Uh, because this is all about this is all about our communities, guys. It's all about our communities. That's what the CLA is about. If you want to be successful in the laundromat industry, that's what you should be about. And we are living proof of that. Um, so anyways, Brian, thank you for taking the time out of your evening. We will let you get home to your family. Uh, but uh, I hope to see you in, what, six or seven weeks at the conference. We'll see you then. All right. Thanks, awesome. man. Take thanks, care, Brian. bud. All right. For everybody at home, this has been a great episode. I'm guessing you're going to have to rewind that. And I know I say that all the time. But this is one you're going to have to rewind and watch again and again and take some notes. I am not underestimating this when I say that being associated with people like Brian and the CLA organization, it has absolutely helped to make us uh, a top of the industry operator along with a few other things. So if that's your goal, if that's what you're all about, you need to reach out to the organization. Get involved. Uh, CLA, what's the website, Brian? What's the website? CoinLaundry.org. Coin laundry. Coin laundry. Coin <laughs> I'm like, I Sorry. know that one. <laughs> try, to, try to keep it simple. Yeah. CoinLaundry.org and PlanetLaundry.com. Free subscription. Yeah. Get engaged there. Lots of great content. And as I mentioned earlier, LaundryCares.org uh, to learn more about our charitable endeavors here. Perfect. Appreciate it. All right. For everybody at home, we'll see you all next time for another episode of the Laundry Rap Millionaire Show. Take care, everyone. Take care. <laughs> This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.